This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, the brutality of the apartheid regime of Israel continues despite what people have referred to as a ceasefire. The death toll in Gaza continues to escalate. The devastation in Gaza continues to escalate. The numbers of people who have been made homeless, some of whom for the fifth and sixth times, who are already refugees in Gaza, have lost their homes again. And despite the international pressure that's being leveled on the Israelis, the apartheid regime of Israel, what we see is continued pressure to ethnically cleanse and remove Palestinians who've been living in Jerusalem and in the Sheikh Jarrah area. And we continue to see attacks on Al-Aqsa Mosque at this time. So the apartheid regime shows nothing in terms of de-escalating this situation. But on the other side, which we're going to talk about today, the international condemnation of the apartheid regime of Israel has been escalating at a very rapid pace. And we even see little edges of movement from the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. So we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, Absolutely, Jess. And uh, you're right. I mean, as far as the escalation goes, uh, Israel uh, security, they've been going into a whole uh, all-out campaign, arresting activists, arresting Palestinians, 1948 Palestinians, especially those who kind of uh, supported their uh, brethren and and their sisters in uh, in the occupied West Bank and and Gaza. So they've been going from town to town and arrested. I don't even, uh, I've lost count of the number of people who got arrested because, yeah, because they do it early in the morning, but eventually we'll have an accurate number. Uh, But on the bright side, uh, as as you've mentioned, uh, uh, the Irish Parliament has passed a motion condemning the de facto annexation of Palestinian land by Israeli authorities. That's big. The motion uh, tabled by the opposition, the uh, Sinn Féin party, passed on Wednesday after receiving cross-party support. This is really important because this makes it the first European Union country to use the phrase de facto annexation uh, in relation to Israel's actions in the occupied Palestinian territories. Uh, After the vote, uh, Sinn Féin's leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, said uh, on Twitter that the motion must mark new assertive, consistent consistent uh, confrontation of Israeli crimes against Palestine. That's, so, so that's, that's actually... Jamal, a, this, is, this is a huge development. It's a huge development on the international diplomatic scene where you have European Union countries, not just countries that have historically been very supportive of Palestinian self-determination, but a outright European Union country coming out and making such a strong statement of, you know, Israeli apartheid practices. This is huge. It is. And if you saw the images of the parliamentarian, yes, uh, they were uh, wearing masks with the Palestinian flag right. or the kafia, which, uh, which kind of made headlines all over uh, European newspapers. And uh, Israel has complained. And, uh, you know, what, uh, what 
actually angered the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and that's the other story, Jess, is that uh, on Wednesday, he denounced French Foreign Minister Jean-Yves Le Drian for saying earlier this week that Israel is at risk of long-lasting apartheid if a Palestinian state is not established. So Le Drian, whose uh, remarks made him one of the first senior officials to use the term apartheid in reference to Israel. Of course, he was referring to Palestinians, but also to violent crackdown on 1948 Palestinians or Palestinians with Israeli citizenship who showed support to Palestinians in Jerusalem, the West Bank and, and Gaza, and also uh, condemning the uh, Jewish uh, lynch mob uh, who were uh, marching in the streets and chanting death to Arabs. So I saw a press conference with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu in, te in, in, in Tel Aviv, and uh, he expressed a strong protest against the French government, well, uh, called the ambassador to reprimand him, and said it was outrageous comments of the French foreign minister on, on, on television. So that's a, I said, Two in a row. Yeah. The Irish uh, Parliament passes their motion. The French Foreign Minister, and you know France is a, a strong ally to Israel. The French Foreign Minister compares it to an apartheid or headache. Of course, I'm, I have no complaints about these statements, except I'd like to correct the French Foreign Minister that it is and it has been an apartheid for many years. Right. And the other, the other thing that I'd like to just correct with the uh, with Ireland and the Irish is that it's it is uh, annexation. They called it de facto annexation, but it's literal, not just as a result of years of uh, practice uh, annexation. By the way, the other thing that I found really interesting about the French foreign minister Jamal. It's not as if the French government, the Macron government, is left-leaning. Uh, and they have always been huge supporters of the apartheid regime of Israel. So for the French foreign minister to make a statement like that, it had to be cleared by Macron. And obviously it was. You have kind of a right-leaning government within the European Union coming down strong and condemning the apartheid practices of the Israeli regime. So you're absolutely right. These are two Well, I mean, just in France, if you criticize Israel, you have to walk on eggs because right. you could be charged with anti-Semitism anti charges. That's right. You know, they've passed all kinds of laws, not to mention, of course, you're talking about Macron, who has been attacking and attacking uh, Muslims, Muslims. In, 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 in France, you know, the total, a total Islamophobic president, I would say, uh, in his actions. And many of the French are also a large number of the minorities. They're the ones who go out uh, in the streets of Paris uh, demonstrating. And then when they were demonstrating, the French government uh, sent... Uh, it's security, it's security forces to, you know, basically hose them down with right. uh, with water. Yes. Uh, I mean, they didn't want them to gather in the streets. Well, it's kind of interesting because I think the larger political analysis that's been going on is that the that the 
uh, war against innocent, you know, civilians, Palestinian civilians in Gaza, the, the men, women, and children that were killed, hundreds, is having a costly political impact on Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israelis. If you look at the polls coming from, and they polled Israelis, and here's the tragedy, Jamal, the overwhelming majority of Israelis wanted Benjamin Netanyahu to continue the shelling and the killing of uh, Gaza and w- and undoubtedly would have had even a greater devastating toll on the civilian population there. So the Israeli populace um, is is putting a is you know it's they want Benjamin Netanyahu to pay a price for this politically. They weren't supportive of the so-called ceasefire. We have to say, by the way, Jamal, ceasefire in quotes, because as I said in the beginning, the the ethnic cleansing in East Jerusalem and uh, uh, even Palestinian citizens of, of, of the Israeli state are being viciously targeted right now. So that has not stopped. You're right. And uh, of course, uh, we've seen uh, more uh, U.S. congressmen and congresswomen being uh, vocal, um, basically uh, decrying what was going on. And hey, uh, you've made the the news, uh, Jess. Uh, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders quoted you while he was talking about the Palestinian children in, in Gaza and their suffering. Let's watch that clip. Jess Gonham, a professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco, who specializes in the psychological effects of armed conflict on children, told USA Today, and I quote, quote, what children in Gaza are exposed to on a regular basis exceeds anything, anything that any children anywhere else in the world experience. There's basically no place to go for these children. They are unable to escape, end of quote. Well, Jamal, I mean, uh, it's good to get a shout out from uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, This is part of the work, you know, that I've been doing in Gaza for 20 years, uh, looking at the traumatic impact of war, occupation, and displacement on Palestinian children and Palestinian communities in Gaza. And and listen, our our viewers and listeners need to know what I said in an article where I was quoted in USA Today. But basically, Palestinian children and Palestinians, unlike any community anywhere in the world, uh, face a kind of trauma that is unlike anything because even with the atrocities committed against Iraqi children during the Gulf War, the atrocities committed against Syrian children, even what's happening in Yemen, all of those communities at least can leave. They can go somewhere else. Families could take their children and try to find a safe place eventually. Palestinian children and Palestinians in Gaza, especially because they live in an open-air prison, have nowhere to go to protect their children and they are left with a unique and devastating, uh, horrible impact of trauma, unlike any children anywhere in the world. So, 
you know, that Bernie Sanders would quote some of the work that I've done is great. But what is the Senate and what is the House and what is the Congress going to do about the $700 million that they want to give to the Israeli war machine, Jamal? Well, here is the sad thing. Uh, Although, like, uh, you know, I stand with Bernie Sanders and I think he's done a lot of things that are good and he made a lot of changes. However, he also angered a lot of people afterwards, even though, you know, he spoke against the atrocities in Gaza. He spoke, as we've seen in, in when he quoted you in that clip, talked about the suffering of the Palestinian children uh, in, in Gaza. However, like when uh, people started to, you know, like when they saw uh, the Israeli government was trying to, to uh, leverage what I call anti-Semitism, uh, with what's going on in Gaza, saying that there is a high rate of now uh, of anti-Semitism, which we always deplore. Oh, and you anybody, have, yes, you know, absolutely. And then they were trying to link it with what's going in Gaza. He was asking activists and others to tone down the rhetoric. I mean, how can you tone down your rhetoric when people are getting slaughtered? Uh, just well, so people are not happy with him. And also, when you've mentioned about the uh, seven hundred. Uh, $30 million. Uh, Bernie Sanders, who opposed it now, he is not opposing it. He basically withdrew his opposition as far as I know, or abstaining, you know, not taking his opposition uh, against uh, well, then don't, uh, basically then, the president of the United then States. Don't quote, so that's then don't troubling. quote me, Bernie. If, if, unless you're going to take a principled stand and, you know, restrict this these war machine funding so that the Israeli military can continue to use U.S. support and U.S. military to kill civilians in Gaza, you know, then don't don't quote me, man. We, we have to stop this uh, funding of an apartheid regime that doesn't hesitate whatsoever to use U.S.-made weaponry, Jamal, to kill women and children. I mean, this is this is simply unacceptable. I want to bring up just another quick thing politically, Jamal. 500 ex-Biden staffers penned a letter to Joe Biden saying, you got to do something about Palestine. Your undying support for, for the Israeli regime, which does these apartheid practices, which kills women and children, you, you know, this is this is not good. This is not why we worked to get you elected, and you have to have a more even and balanced approach to this issue. So if you look at the 500-plus signatories, Jamal, they were, these were individuals who were high up in the Biden campaign getting him elected as president of the United States. And then, of course, you have uh, Congresswoman uh, McCollum, her, the bill uh, basically talking about not using U.S. military aid to Israel to kill children. I mean, it's a plain Hello. and simple, very simple, plain and simple bill that she's facing opposition. And and then for Bernie Sanders now to kind of like, oh, let let me just stay quiet. I don't want to uh, disrupt what uh, uh, Biden wants to do. I think they gotta wake up and, and smell the coffee, including uh, President Biden. Uh, yes, he sent his Secretary of State uh, to the area to the region uh, to sit down and talk to people and then uh, you know I had a message just and this this is probably a good segue to to, to uh, uh, 
uh, to the Secretary of State, uh, you know, he made an announcement saying, oh, we're going to give the Palestinians, I don't know what was it, $200 million or $300 million. And my message was to him, Palestinians don't want USA, they don't want the no. $200 million or $300 million. They want their homes back. Thank I you. I mean, this is what's yes. going on. So that was my message. It's not about like every time they just they just march in the streets, decrying apartheid, decrying ethnic cleansing, decrying the constant uh, you know stealing of their homes. They want their homes. They want to live in dignity like everyone else. Not just like you throw them a little bit of money, kind of like throw, you're throwing them a bone to remain silent. That's exactly. And uh, no, Jamal. That was exactly my message. Right. And, and and Facebook has censored it. What? So we're back, yeah, we're back oh my God. to the Facebook. Yeah, it got a lot of uh, reception. They've censored it. You know, Facebook, they use these third-party censors uh, or, um, you know, content uh, fact-checkers. Content uh, like, monitors, uh, right. Like, uh, like editors from uh, USA t- uh, Today or from the... Daily Call and others, because I've received letters from them. People who have never been to the Middle East, they don't know nothing about the about Palestine. They don't speak Arabic. You know, the closest they have gotten to the Middle East is through eating a falafel sandwich. <laughs> and and then they they tell you what to write and what not to write. No, I'm not. I'm serious. And I challenge. I challenge the person that who censored it and who doesn't understand the Arabic and who doesn't understand the story they were saying, I used a picture that wasn't in Sheikh Jarrah and it was out of context. Well, Sheikh Jarrah is not the nucleus of ethnic cleansing. And it's, it's not the, the only one place. One of the latest episodes Absolutely. of ethnic cleansing. Ethnic cleansing started in 1948. They should read Ilan Pape's book, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine. And so I'm angry and that's my message to them. And incidentally, uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, she wrote a letter, and we'll post that letter as we're speaking. She wrote a letter addressing those people who are in charge at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok USA, basically saying that social media has been one of the only places for us, for Palestinians, for the, uh, you know, the kind of the poor man's media to get first-hand accounts from from Palestine about the occupation, about the violence they face, and then she wrote them a letter urging them to cease censorship and ensure Palestinian voices are heard. So I don't know what more can we do but to the- bypass this censorship in the United States that they hide behind the terms of uh, the TOT terms of uh, whatever use or something like this. Terms of use, yeah. Well, I think it's unacceptable, Jamal, that you're getting censored. I mean, this show, uh, when it's posted to Facebook, has faced censorship um, or limitations in terms of who can view it and how many people can view it. And I think that's just the you know unacceptability of you know the or i should say the selectivity about what messages get out there and what messages don't we're still seeing that pro palestine voices and people who are promoting content having to do with ethnic cleansing in palestine are being targeted still despite the 
you know, um, despite the light that's being shined on these attempts to stifle free speech and content, which should be shared as openly as possible. Um, it's really Meanwhile, you have, meanwhile, this is the funny thing about it, Jess, and uh, we don't have all the time to talk about it because we have actually a great thing in the second half of the show, is you have uh, Bella Hadid, you know, the right. famous model Bella Hadid and her sister. Gigi. Uh, Gigi Hadid and, and, uh, and others who basically denounce the aggression and the killing of children. And they get attacked left and right on social media by the, uh, the Hasbara machine, Israel's Hasbara machine. And the Hasbara machine publishes a full page ad in the New York Times attacking uh, Bella Hadid, Gigi Hadid, and Dua Lipa. Imagine, the New York Times monetizes basically hate on this defamation and right. this basically it was a hate attack accusing them of anti-Semitism because they were saying stop the killing of Palestinian children. And then Palestinian voices get censored for saying, you know, what's going on? Well, Israel is an apartheid state. Here I said it. I'll say it a million times. It is. You know, as they say, if it walks like a duck, exactly. quacks like a duck. I mean, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to describe a country that has two sets of laws for two ethnicities, a country that has bypass roads for Jews only, a country that ethnically cleanses Palestinians. How do we describe this country? Jess? It's very easy, Jamal. We describe it the way Human Rights Watch did. It's an apartheid state. And this statement as if it's de facto or leading to, uh, to the French foreign minister, it's already there. We, we have to continue to confront this, Jamal. Um, now, we talked about a lot of heavy things today, I know, but we we need to let our viewers and listeners know that there's there's inspiration coming from Palestinians who refuse to be ethnically cleansed, who refuse to be, you know, just passively let their homes be destroyed or, you know, not stand up to the apartheid regime. I mean, there are... These are inspirational stories, and, you know, there are musicians who want to celebrate that. That's right, Jess. So we're very happy um, to have on the show, uh, on Arab Talk, uh, again, Arabic violin virtuoso George Lemam, and uh, one of Bolivia's most internationally renowned Latino guitarist, Gabriel Navia. Uh, to, they're going to be performing some Arabic fusion, and uh, this is actually a gift from them to the Palestinians who are suffering under Israeli oppression, just some relief. And so let's watch this interview and listen to their beautiful music. We are very excited to host again on Arab Talk, Arabic violet virtuoso George Labmam and one of Bolivia's most internationally renowned Latino guitarist and artist Gabriel Navia. George Lamam of Palestinian descent was born in Beirut, Lebanon, and Gabriel Navia was born in Bolivia. What a great duo. Welcome again to Arab Talk, George and Gabriel. Thanks very much for having us again um, on, your, uh, on your show, Arab Talk. I mean, here we meet again. Last time I remember we've had you 
in the studio together was in 2018 after uh, the release of your, your album Opus Omnia uh, in 2017. And we want to talk about this. But just to kind of remind our listeners and viewers, how did you guys meet? I mean, it's, 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 this is just an interesting story by itself. Where we started, um, I think over, over 10 years now. Yeah, when I met you, yeah. Uh, well, his, uh, his father actually um, owns uh, a place in uh, North Beach uh, called Peña Pachamama, where they have uh, mostly every night uh, music and um, they bring in different cultures. Uh, so uh, I was invited um, by another musician to come there and, and play with them and kind of just jam. So I went there and that night actually I met Gabriel <laughs> and I didn't know Gabriel was a musician to, to, to start with because he was actually serving the table I sat on. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do everything yeah, it's a family's business, right? A, yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, I jammed with the, with the other musicians, which is Freddie Clark. And, and, and then we start doing every Wednesday with other band uh, there and at Pachamama. And I start uh, seeing Gabriel, of course, playing with, the, with Bolivian music with his own group there with his father. And, uh, and they asked me to sit with them and jam. And I start actually playing with them. And suddenly I get this idea where me and Gabriel, we can really have a lot of stuff in common. Um, and uh, so he starts sitting me in my Arabic band. I start sitting with him in his band and then playing. So I learned his actual repertoire and a lot of stuff actually composed by his father, by him. And he starts sitting with me playing uh, my own composition and also classical Arabic uh, stuff. So he learned a lot of uh, Arabic uh, music, classical Arabic music. And then we decided on, uh, wow, we, we can really do a lot of stuff just together with violin and, uh, and guitar. And uh, so we start doing it and we didn't know where it's gonna go. We start uh, doing, uh, taking some Arabic pieces, like classic Arabic pieces and see what's, what can really work, uh, have a common, what can work between the violin, the Arabic violin and the flamenco guitar. And we find it, uh, there's a lot of actually things can work out. So we, we search, and we composed our own uh, stuff, and he is actually on um, uh, three different albums uh, I um, I made, and uh, Gabriel is on it. And also I played also on his father's album and their albums. Really yeah. To, to, to oh, yeah. Uh, well, I was going to tell you, we, we really, uh, I feel we connected. Uh, we, we met each other, but we just... Uh, we connected deeply when we started playing. Maybe the first time we sat in, we sat on, on, a, on a jam, and, and music was just like uh, I don't know. It's like when two souls just uh, find each other and, and, and they really connect on a different level. That's how we, I felt with George, you know, like a kind of spiritual connection through the music. And you know, it's an instant that happens like that. You know, you know it's going to you know last forever. I mean, uh, before, uh, when we talked with you, you were talking about your music, uh, uh, describing it as Arabic fusion, and I see behind you a sign that says, uh, Ola Yalla, and that's kind of made me think, like, like Yalla Yalla kind of hits the same, right? Well, uh, what's yeah. the concept? Uh, 
the concept, the concept of, you know, as as hola in Spanish mm-hmm. means hola, hi, hi. And the other, of course, in Arabic means come on. <laughs> come on. <laughs> so uh, just recently, we, because uh, in the latest album, album Opus Omnia, we composed a piece together actually here in my house in the um, living room, uh, which will have that uh, combination. And then we were trying to find a name for it. I said, what about just have a like, uh, catchy name? So we decided to call it half Spanish and Arabic. And now, we call ourselves uh, Duo, as you see in the banner, um, Duo Latin Arabia. It's pretty much the concept, you know, I feel it represents uh, what the what our um, meaning of the, the, the two worlds, Latin music, Arabic music, and rhythms. And at the same time, it's it's a new um, adventure for both of us because uh, we, we, we really like to dig in each other's mind musically, you know, he has ideas and then I'll go into his ideas and, you know, make it like a puzzle and then I get from the ball again and he'll, he'll change it again. And, and we really, we really complement each other in a compositional level. Um, and, and of course, on, on stage, it's just like we, we we've, uh, have a, a very, very um, special communication. You know, we, we almost like we don't need to talk. It's just all by, by, by looking. And, and also, you read each other's mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, uh, he had the love for Arabic music and I have the love also for Latin music. So combine them together. He takes my idea, turn them to Latin. I take his idea, take turn it to Arabic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, want, I, I love to talk uh, to you forever. But I want to hear that uh, music and our audience. How do you actually manage to combine it? Uh, I mean, I love your album. I just want to emphasize Opus Omnia that you you released. I, I love your songs, uh, both of you, George Lamam and Gabriel Navia. Yam Safar Wahdak, that's one of my favorites. Uh, Desert Nomad, Swaying Palms. I mean... It's it's great. Uh, it's it's really great music. What are you gonna play uh, for us now? Well, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he came uh, to my house, and we we're always working on uh, new ideas. And uh, I have a new album actually, uh, almost done. We're just uh, working on um, even the next one after that one. But we create uh, a piece the other day here in my salon. We don't have a name for it yet. <laughs> Uh, I can play a little bit of that uh, for you. Sounds great. Thank you. 
Beautiful, bravo. I'm going to call this Arabic and Latin talk. <laughs> That's just Arabic talk. I mean, and we're going to use this for our theme music. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is beautiful. I mean, did you, did you, you know, I mean, I know now you're sitting together because I know almost everyone in the San Francisco Bay Area has been vaccinated. Did you uh, practice before, like uh, uh, via Zoom or online? I mean, I know you've, you, you know, last time, George, we talked to you via Zoom and you said you were trying, you were doing something with, uh, you know, playing some music, you know, and you missed the uh, audience. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're still, we're still not, uh, we're still struggling with that, actually. It's not fully um, open yet, as you know, in San Francisco. But we've done a lot of actually uh, like uh, dance. Actually, we did a Zoom uh, belly dance show <laughs> last year on Zoom. I have actually my full Arabic band, Gabriel, with us. With us. Um, and also, I did last year also a festival uh, uh, from Palestine, Bethlehem, from the art college Dar al Kalima. You know about it, right? Right, yeah. Uh, also, they did a big festival. Also, I was part of it. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, so some other also events I can't remember right now, but some other events on Zoom were still uh, doing stuff on Zoom until and we're hoping uh, by the end of the summer things will open again. I mean, but, um, I mean, do you have any plans? Uh, like Gabriel, uh, I mean, I know the clubs are closed, or uh, I mean, anything that happens now outside seating, which you know, even for restaurants, it. it or partial seating, is there something on the horizon that you can actually get together and perform in a kind of small, intimate yeah, environment? Yeah, there's things on the horizon, we're not clear yet. Uh, again. It's going to be a slow transition, I feel. Like, uh, people are, are, you know, getting vaccinated and all that, but, you know, it's, there's still the, the vulnerable that you have to take care of. You know, people that can't take the vaccine or are too, you know, uh, ill or you know they just simply can't take it so you have to we have to try to make sure that we all come together for this whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated but you know just keep all the precaution you know and, 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 and be safe it's not over yet yeah in the meantime we're taking advantage of this time and we practicing rehearsing try to finish the album i'm working on um Sometimes I do sessions, of course, with my producer Richard Mikos uh, on Zoom, <laughs> try to edit stuff and, and uh, things. And sometimes I uh, was able to go to, to, to the studio and do more work. So we just uh, have to wait and see what's going to happen. In the meantime, we're just going to keep working on the music and composing. And uh, because music is our life, <laughs> me and Gabriel. I'm, I'm sure about this. And then you, you guys put uh, great music. And I, I just can't wait to kind of see you in, in, in person and attend one of your concerts or come down. You know, I mean, everybody's now dying, I mean, in a way to kind of like go somewhere, uh, yeah. you know, to, to be uh, with their loved ones or go to a club and listen to music. We miss, everybody misses this. And I'm sure this will happen, hopefully, you know, like as, as you said, uh, in, in, in the summer. Uh, I'd love to hear something from uh, your album, uh, Opus Omnia, so you can, you know, select whatever you like. We can do, we can do a part of all album. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. 
Beautiful, beautiful. I know, uh, George, uh, you toured with Gabriel and his father, Eddie, uh, Bolivia, and then we talked about that last time. I mean, things are different now and difficult. Uh, maybe, you know, I see behind you, the uh, both of you, the Palestinian kafia. You know, Palestine is going uh, through a very hard time now, Palestinians, uh, especially with the ev evictions in Sheikh Jarrah. Uh, Maybe at some point, do you think you have plans to tour together, maybe play to the Palestinian families and children in Jerusalem? I'd love to do that. You know, I was there 2017, and I did play in the uh, in Bethlehem uh, Dar al Kalima College and University. Uh, it's an art college. And also, uh, some of the students actually joined me and played together for the opening of the new library uh, and actually there is a reason why why uh, we put the the uh, kafirs behind us also to, to, to make a statement like we stand uh, uh, with the palestinian struggle 
and solidarity with the Palestinians and what's going on right now there. And this, my future, of course, I'm planning to go back there and um, and help with art, with the music, absolutely. Gabriel loved to go there too, because I went to his country now. He wants to come actually to my country and explore their the art uh, scene. Uh, and also, I planned also to uh, and in in the uh, middle of the nineties, I composed actually pieces of music uh, with my wife. My wife played actually the piano with me on it, uh, Jeanette. Uh, so I would like actually to to play this. Um, uh, from uh, for Sudanese with the Palestinian people and from my heart, it's very like it's kind of like sad piece, but in the meantime, it's um, uh, I just want to to play it yeah. and uh, I feel it. It's one called "Uncontrolled Whisper." That's a gift to the Palestinian uh, people from George, your wife, and from Gabrielle. Uncontrolled mm-hmm. whispers. Thank you. 
Bravo, lovely. This is lovely. As you said, it's kind of somber, but it reflects really the deep, the deep feeling. Uh, and uh, I will be very excited. I'll actually, if you go to Palestine, I will make sure to travel and see you there. Yeah. I would love to to see you play in Jerusalem for for Palestinians. I know uh, things are difficult now, but at some point we should be able uh, to do it. So what's next on your agenda? I know you now you're working on, a new, is this is this what you're doing, working on trying to finish a new album? Yes, and um, we're working on the last piece. I'm trying to, um, you know, I lost my brother Elias two years ago. He was a great accordion player. And uh, he did an album a while ago uh, called Salsabil. And there's one piece actually recorded uh, was Yam Safar Wahtak too, with the accordion. So I wanted to actually remix that and honor him in a new album. So using only uh, the track of the accordion and, and put over it violin and guitar. And then I would be done with this with the new album. Don't know how long it's gonna take because we're working on it right now. Uh, and of course we're practicing and, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to travel soon. <laughs> Yeah, and I know I know this is going to be hard because also that's your livelihood. Where where can people uh, get your albums? Where can they purchase them? Uh, they can actually uh, go to. Uh, they are available online too on uh, uh, iTunes, um, CD Baby. Uh, yeah, because I, I work work with them so. It's, it's online, I think online or they can they can order also the whole CD online too. So they will send them the so the whole full album. Or they can download piece by piece whatever they like. It's just Google my name, George Lamam. Uh, you go to either CD Baby or um, or iTunes. Uh, I hate to say it, but they're on Amazon too. <laughs> but they I know and they, they take they take a big chunk, I'm sure. Yeah. Out of yeah. this, so that's why I'm trying to say, go to George Lemam. Also, I know Gabriel, you have your own website. You right. may have a lot of, of of your own music, and and I know. Yes, with, I, I, with, I don't I don't post on iTunes or or City Baby, but I do have a Bandcamp where you can go on and listen to the music on Bandcamp. Mm -hmm. Well, guys, I'm I'm looking forward to listen to the to the new album. And uh, you've been listening uh, to uh, George Lemmam and Gabrielle Navia. So take us out with anything you want, uh, a final piece for the show. Um, I'm, I'm going to do a little part of a song, Wasatul Sabr. Thank <laughs> you. 
Gabriel, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thanks for having us. Appreciate that a lot. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you so much. Wow, Jamal. All, all I got to say is that the message verbally was powerful. The musical message was powerful. The fact that a Palestinian and a Bolivian could come together and produce such amazing, beautiful powerful music with powerful messaging is a testament to the worldwide solidarity that people have with the people of Palestine. On this happy note, you've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website arabtalkradio.com and to download the latest episodes and we will talk to you next week. See you next week. Thank you.